right. Here we are again, Bookworm Games. This is episode 13. I'm joined by Stephen Abel. Hey, Steve. Hey, Wes. How's it going? Good. You're coming through loud and clear. Um, so we were all set to record last week, and then I was traveling, and you were busy with work, and it just didn't happen. But we're back here on Memorial Day. And, um, so we were just talking about um, um, speed runs, and um, I was thinking back to when we used to play video games together. Which one of us was better at video games, Steve? I think that's the first thing we need to clear up here. <laughs> Uh, I think you might have to talk to our friend uh, Michael, who uh, we oh, used to get money from for beating uh, stars from uh, sixty-four. Uh, like, I, which one of us made more money? That's how we would figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, who? Yeah, exactly. Because I think we got a dollar per star, so I think okay. that's been a good way to figure out who is better. All right, all right. So we'll consult our piggy banks and our friend Michael um, from soccer. Yeah, um, but okay. But then we also, we've got a, speaking of that, we've got a standing um, agreement that the first of us to make a million dollars is going to share half of it with the other. How much of it? I forgot already. I mean, I guess it depends on who makes the million first. If you do, then definitely half. <laughs> if I do, I think it was only like 25%. Oh, no, no, no. 50%. I guess now okay. it's recorded for all eternity. There we go. So now that we've cleared those two little matters up. Okay. Um, so so when we first like started playing Earthbound, this to me is like one of those things that's kind of lost in the mists of time. But like we were friends from playing soccer together and we would hang out and we'd have these sleepovers where we would hang out and just play video games all night. Um, was Earthbound, was that a game that we were playing like when we were really little or at what point do you remember when we started to play that game? Yeah, I think uh, we were probably around eight or nine when we started okay. to play it. And I don't think yeah. that that was really one of the games that we played super late into okay. the night. Um, I remember us being a little bit older uh, when we actually were able to stay up all night. Uh, I still remember, I think it was Final Fantasy X. Um, oh yeah. Special weapons. Uh, Earthbound, to me, at least my fondest memories were sitting either in your bedroom or in your living room because you owned the game. Uh, yeah. Eating goldfish, and uh, I, I actually just enjoyed watching you play um, for a oh, while. Because uh, I, I will admit that you were much better than me at RPGs. Yes. Um, so uh, I, I will concede that you were much better at that than I um, Thank you. Well, you know, wait, so the reason that I was any, if I was better, it was because I had friends who were older than me and taught me how to play those games. You remember Greg and Donald, right? Like the neighbor kids. Yeah. So yeah. They, would, they would play and then these neighbors that used to live next to us for a while, um, who were their age also, they would play those games like Final Fantasy 2, or what was right. called Final Fantasy 2 in, in the US. Um, they would play that when I was like really little. So that, so I would watch them play that and I would be like, oh, that's like the coolest thing, you know, because these are the kids I looked up to. And so I think that that made me want to like, like they, they made me want to learn how to read better because so much of like RPG games, which they seem to like so much, is just like reading text and like listening to what people say. Um, and then just like, yeah, just the amount of time and um, patience maybe to like sit there and like 
figure out what you're supposed to do next sometimes. I don't know. Like, what do you mean? How can you be better at an RPG? I want to figure that out, first of all. Well, I yeah. think, you know, you grew up in an environment uh, that I think was atypical in the U.S. at that time, which yeah. was uh, you had friends that introduced you to RPGs. I don't think RPGs were necessarily big in America. Oh, yeah. um, in my household and in my neighborhood, it was primarily platformers. So we're playing Super Mario World, yeah. Super Mario World. Three, uh, I really enjoyed Punch Out. Um, so to me, video games were just kind of about getting to the end point as quickly as possible. It wasn't necessarily, you know, th there are puzzles in uh, platformers, but they're not the same kind of puzzles that that pop up in RPGs. So for me, it was more just about, uh, again, it was just kind of getting it done as quickly as possible. And in RPGs, you have to explore talk yeah. to people kind of figure out the clues that they're dropping and I I, I didn't have the patience for that <laughs> and I didn't enjoy that as much as you did so yeah. um and it was just a lack of exposure uh yeah I think to, that's to that genre at the time. it wasn't until Final Fantasy 7 uh, oh, yeah. we got our PlayStation and the, and I used to watch my brother play that for hours on end and then our stupid right. Mac, uh memory card <laughs> got corrupted multiple times like 20 hours so i you know i was pretty familiar with the first like 20 hours of final fantasy 7 um, yeah okay. that, that, that yeah so that you know i i kind of just grew up with and then competitive games so you had mario kart um street fighter yeah uh, you know some kind of, i think it was rbi baseball or something like that i don't know okay, all right so i i yeah it wasn't really rpg centric for me yeah, but so so yeah. Speaking of like Final Fantasy VII, that that's kind of the big one that um, maybe like bridged those two worlds for a lot of people. Like if you grew up playing video games like Mario and Street Fighter, and you were kind of like into the action elements of the game and like efficient gameplay and all that like sort of thing, and then and then you sort of see. I remember that's one of the first games that I ever saw like commercials for on TV and uh of like the little cut scene with with the train going around um midgard city you know and and i was like oh my gosh what is this thing um i was i was like fascinated by that and yeah i remember that your brother had that game before i did i don't know if i even had a playstation until i was like like oh i have to like get this game and play it so yeah yeah that was a big minor correction i got i, I actually got that for christmas uh, oh, that's never, never had heard of it before. I think it was one of the uh, games where my brother said, "Oh yeah, Steve will like that." Uh, <laughs> buy that for him. And then he <laughs> confiscated it and and just played it in his room and let me in whenever you know. What he needed you to replay the first twenty hours, he would have you come in. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. Uh, big brothers, man. So I was a big brother, and you were a little brother. Maybe that's part of like the secret of our, our success playing games together. So I'm starting to see like, okay, I had like, I had a little more patience for certain kinds of games. And I think I would concede that you had more skill. You could always beat me at like Mario Kart and um, Super Smash Brothers. Like those games, you were, you're better at those. Um, well, I think, I, I think it's just more, I probably, you know, played against people with better motor skills than I did. So I kind of had to adapt, you know, it's like yeah. iron. And, you know, it's kind of like, uh, as a quick aside, 
used to kick my butt at Super Smash Brothers for the N64. And then I went to college, played it, <laughs> almost failed out my freshman year because of it, played it for probably six or seven hours a day and came back and, and smoked you. So yeah. um, you know, well, it's just, I think it's just a level of competition that you're playing with. Here's the memory that's burned into my head. So, okay, um, Ape Escape. So we, we played it for like hours and hours. We played Ape Escape. We we're like, we're going to get like 100% completion on this game. It's going to be awesome. And we did a really good job like taking turns and like playing through whatever. And then we get to the very last, you know, the last monkey that has to be caught for that 100%. And you caught the monkey. You jerk. Well, uh, I think then we later find out that that wasn't actually the last monkey. I I know, but like it's that's a technicality. Yeah, yeah. You still you still all right. But so okay, Earthbound, Earthbound. You had a copy of that, and you lent it to one of our other friends from the soccer team. Did he ever Thomas, talk Thomas to you Thomas. again? <laughs> you never heard from him again, right? Uh, well, okay. So I guess the story was, I misplaced it. I tore my house. Well, I didn't misplace it. I couldn't find it. Uh-huh. Tore my house apart realized like one day i just like woke up and i was like i lent that video game to said friend yeah and i was like oh man this sucks like i'll I'll never see him again but then in college i saw him at a bar okay and i approached him and i said hey what's up buddy how's it going and he's like oh man long time no see and i was like yeah man you have my earthbound can i get that back (laughs) and then i then i never heard from him again Uh uh-huh uh-huh well it's like worth a lot of money right like maybe he sold it maybe he I don't know. Maybe he just yeah, I don't know. the greatest game ever and will never part with it now that he's got his, his grimy little hands on it. Yeah, well, you know, I did get it for uh, $5, $5 from the uh, Gaithersburg Funko Land. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they used to have the video game stores with just like bins full of yeah. SNES cartridges. And that, that was one that I got for $5 after watching you play it. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I want to start to, you know, play this game from start to finish too. So uh, that's yeah. what I did. And I, and I was able to beat it before I parted with it. So at least I got to experience it. Yeah. Well, so it's like for a while there, it was very rare um, and it wasn't on the virtual console, but there was this like this network of people who had these experiences of the game and like really loved it. And so on starman.net, right? Like there's this online community that grows up around the game um and they work really hard to try to get nintendo of america to finally release um earthbound and it's it's prequel and it's sequel and i know that at least the first two are now available on the virtual console is is mother three or aka earthbound two is that like something you can play on a nintendo system at this point i don't actually know Uh, not legally um (laughs) that's really sad though yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you can always import one and play it if you know Japanese, but yeah. uh, unfortunately, that's just been caught up. I, I don't really understand Nintendo of America's uh, thought process on it. Uh, I feel like it would be a huge money seller. I believe that whoever did the translation said that Nintendo could use it if they ever release it. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, right. But, the fan translation. Yeah, it's out there, and like you can. I get you can like experience the game but in some way yeah it's it's different when it's um when it's this kind of uh a fan-led thing versus the uh the actual 
you know, licensed product, right? Like that, those are just, that's a different world. Um, and, and part of that too, like to go back to um, Final Fantasy VII or whatever, right? Like that was a thing where Nintendo had this great relationship with Square who made all those Final Fantasy games and then they weren't going to have the, the technology, right, to like be able to provide um, the new Final Fantasy. And so Square had to go and find someone else to, to do it, right? So like thinking about the, the connection between the technology and the story that you're trying to tell or like the kind of game that you want to release, um, like that sort of thing, I guess these days is just, it's become so much more, you, you can just like access things so easily now. Um, I, I'm curious, I guess, about like how, well, how does somebody still, like for me, maybe it's just because I grew up with it, but like, how do you still have this kind of attachment to, to Nintendo or to Square or to some of these like big names um, that I, I still feel like there's a difference though between playing um, the the fan-made version on an emulator versus like playing the real game released by the the name company you know like do you see what I'm saying there I know there's a lot of different stuff yeah that was kind of all over the place um, you know I, I think for me um, I just love Nintendo games so yeah. I know that they're very stringent with their uh, allowable use on on different platforms and they you know they they've been known to shut down youtubers for copyright yeah. infringements who do like let's plays and stuff like that um i, I don't know i to me there there is a i've played on emulators before i've played on steam there for some reason there isn't that same kind of nostalgic feeling of just playing on a nintendo console yeah. um we were talking about the super nintendo uh, mini that came out uh, and to me there's nothing better than having that feeling of pressing the on button having the games boot up you know picking it and playing it with a legitimate super nintendo controller on the tv um yeah and that's so strange though right it's like how can so this is like a real question too like how can you love something that is um that's like such a it's just a bunch of like electronic you know circuits like you can you can have it played so there's so there's something about the physical console it sounds like it's like people who talk about the difference between reading a an ebook versus like having the actual paper book you know it, it seems like it's something like that and and maybe it is a nostalgia thing like a loyalty thing in a way right to the to the name to the company or the that feeling of like this is what, you know, you have like those sensory memories of like, yeah, sitting and playing that game and like eating goldfish, like you said. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Those are like very strong, very strong memories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I to me, there's definitely a, um, a strong attachment to video games. I mean, I still have all of my video games from back when I started at I guess I started getting my video games when I was like three years old. Oh my gosh. Uh, I had a Super Nintendo. I have like Sesame Street, one, two, three. <laughs> I learned math and stuff on those kinds of games. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have, I had a bunch of friends whose parents, every time there was a new console, they made their kid 
sell their games to finance the new ones and it's like you're getting pennies on the dollar like it's not even yeah. worth it yeah. Uh, yeah you know i still have my original pokemon games and and the, and the boxes and uh you know i i don't know i, I think it's just a strong nostalgic feel i, I like to have something physical um right. i've actually uh seen a youtuber and i followed his lead you can get these plastic cases uh-huh. and and uh get the old game uh box art print that out put it in the sleeve and it's almost like going to blockbuster again yeah which is another, which is another feeling that i had was like very nostalgic for you yeah. know i sit around on netflix and i can't find a movie and it's digital nothing seems interesting but you know back in the day going to blockbuster i feel like i could always find something um just like browsing in the in the actual place yeah there's something different about that yeah yeah, yeah. i, I Maybe it's just the amount of effort that you have to go through. You feel like you're actually doing something. <laughs> uh, or maybe since something is so on demand, it, you, you feel like you can neglect it now because you can get back to it whenever you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, at Blockbuster, it was like either you pick a movie in a video game now or we're not coming back. Like you had to make a decision now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. It, it's really weird because you know, <laughs> my video games take up a lot of space. Uh, a lot of them I haven't touched in, in years, probably will never actually play them again. Yeah. Uh, but I, my, my parents are actually moving and it's kind of sad because I have to figure out what I'm going to do with my video game collection and throwing it out is not an option. Right. So it's probably going to be a storage bin somewhere where I'm going to be spending, you know, 50 bucks a month just to store my video games. So. And it's, but it's so worth it. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, so the, the YouTubers, so like you said, um, there, there's like a really strong uh, community of, of people who are interested in collecting games, who are interested in, in speed runs and like mastering like the, the absolute like greatest skill, level of skill, like consummate artistry at playing these games. It's like insane to watch these people. But then there's, and like I mentioned, there's, there's the social element now, like you can get on on starman.net or whatever, you know, other fan site and meet other people through that and talk about the game, whatever. Um, so of all those kinds of things, like, uh, I, I'm curious, like, would you ever start your own little like YouTube or, or like podcast or something about video games? Or are you more interested in just like, kind of, I don't know, maybe it's like a thing you don't have time to do or, or what are your thoughts about that? Uh, no, I mean, I, I actually have another friend who lives nearby me who also is a video game collector. Um, yeah. And we've talked quite a bit about trying to make a podcast or I've been telling him that I'm going to make a YouTube channel or stuff like that yeah. about video games. Uh, I think the problem is it's YouTube and all these podcasts are so saturated. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to find a niche anymore. Um I mean, it's just, it seems like almost if I found something unique that I thought that I could present to the masses in a informative, funny, you know, way, uh, you know, I might be willing to do it, but as of right now, it's all been done, you know, I think even for your review and I keep on sending you them, but earthbound it's been done to death. It's like, it's how many more videos can YouTubers make that are interesting that go over the same aspects exactly of, 
which is actually one of the reasons why I really appreciate your podcast because you're exploring areas of the game that no one else has touched. So it's new, it's fresh. It's not the same stories about, uh, Oh, the, the inventory system is bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I heard that from the other guy who, who reviewed the game. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's a steep learning curve. Yeah. Like, okay. Like I've heard that too. So I, I the thought of, I like the thought of like each person. I still think that there's like each person who plays the game, I think would be able to bring something new to it just based on like your experiences and other games that you've played or other, you know, for me, it's like a lot of books and, and, and kind of academic stuff that I've read that I sort of bring to like, try to connect with things that I see going on in earthbound. So I, I do think I'd, I want to encourage you to like, to think about it more and, and whether it's, whether it's on the collecting side or whether it's on the, the review side or in some kind of way, I think it would be cool. Cause that, that does like, you know, it's then it's more than just like having that, that storage, you know, space full of old games. It's, it's like, you're, they're still like, you're doing something with them. You're, you're sharing that with people in some way. Yeah. I, I don't know. I hope that, I hope that there's an audience, but, but even if, even if not, like, I think it's just kind of, I think it's cool to, to take what, what was, um, you know, this big part of, of, a, of growing up and, um, like looking at it and seeing what what's really a value there and like how how does this still sort of matter you know I think you'll find stuff like when you when you really look at it so um but but then so you recently sent me the um the angry video game nerds review which is you know it's it's in some ways it's just another review but it's like he's so uh famous and he he puts so much time into his videos that it's I don't know how many millions of views that thing has now, but you know, a ton. Um, so what, what was, I have some thoughts about this too, but what were some, some parts of his analysis that you found like either new or like particularly well done about earthbound? Well, I, I, some of his theories, I really appreciated. Um, you know, I think he said something about buzz buzz actually being Ness from the future coming back to kind of get his journey started. Um, I don't know how much I believe that. I thought that that was a, you know, an interesting new take that I hadn't really thought of or seen anyone else present. Um, and I really appreciated the way that he examined Magicant and the, uh, you know, going through and he pointed out the one quote, I forget what it was. About the, um, the snowman, right? Like the snowman, yeah. you made me one one winter's day or something yeah yeah and then i melted but i still exist in your memory yeah like that. um you know that was a I, I don't even know if i talked to the snowman i'm not even sure if i knew that you could talk to the snowman during the game but the fact that he pointed that out and it seems so poignant um right. especially given you know the environment that you're in i mean aside from maybe moonside that that was obviously the trippiest part of the game with the constantly changing backgrounds and yeah uh, all the people that you run into um but i i really liked his e examination of i guess memories and all, yeah. all that stuff that had to do with the game i think that's yeah that's what i found the most interesting about it too the way so he so he's like really good at making videos and so the way he kind of did it was to like 
remake, you know, like a version of Magic Cant for himself, kind of, right? And he was like walking through this this sort of, it looks almost like a, a side-scrolling video game world. He was like walking along and he was like meeting these like characters from his own, you know, mental world and talking to them, interacting with them. So I thought that was like so interesting because he sort of, he, he really nailed that that's like the game in a way reflecting this very process of, you know, what we're doing right now is like talking about our memories of playing video games. Well, that's where the video game is like looking at your, your memories as a character within the game. So it's like, very, it's almost this kind of um, uh, reflection, you know, of, of what you're actually doing as you play the game. And so, so he made it um, in his, with his own kind of skill set. He, he recreated that and made it his own. And I, yeah, I just think that's such a cool, um, sort of new way to think about video games you know there there's there's more to them than than just like entertainment or or sort of um uh you know pastime i i think i think there's more there and i don't want to it's tough because you know my my tendency is to like try to get like maybe too like you said like the theories that that you come up with when you start thinking about stuff too much they might be a little bit like over the top and like over thinking things I, I sort of I, I want to like try to avoid that if possible but but there is sort of a fine line there to like maybe there maybe there only is something there if you do sort of create it you know it, it's not necessarily something the game developer intended but it's still like a valid way to to think about the game and I don't know yeah yeah absolutely I mean I, I remember um I was talking to my friend back in the day who was really into art uh -huh. and we went and we were looking at it and she was kind of explaining what she thought about it and I and I said like well do you think the artist intended to do this like like all, all these like little strokes and all and she's like well does it matter uh -huh. and that really resonated with me it, it doesn't really matter if the artist intended to do something if you see it and you can interpret it in a meaningful way yeah uh, and I think that's kind of, you know, who knows uh, what uh, Etoy was really thinking. <laughs> I, I mean, who knows? I, he's apparently one of the most uh, biggest Renaissance men in Japan. He has like such a charmed life, it seems. He, he's on like, you know, Iron Chef one week. He's writing a newspaper or uh, articles or short stories. He's making video games. He's just... He does everything. So I don't know how much he actually intended yeah. um, for this kind of self-reflection in the game and this kind of meta uh, yeah. message. Um, right. But I, I don't think it matters at the end of the day because it clearly, uh, with Starman.net and all the fans and all the... Uh, the, the it resonated with people. And I, I think that the fetus theory holds any kind of water and anyone who actually understands that uh I want to go yeah that didn't that didn't um didn't convince me but even more so like at a certain point i don't know if it's just a matter of like trying to say something sort of provocative like it's it's interesting okay but but it's it's also i i think there is a, a point where you draw the line and it's like well that's just more like getting a reaction out of people at that point I guess I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he really like genuinely is is kind no, of that, going. I mean, I, I'm not sure how familiar 
familiar you are with it, but like that's a theory that's been around for a long time. And well, I think he was just kind of addressing it. And I, if I remember correctly, he basically dismissed it. Yeah. Um, I, but yeah, like, you know, but I mean, I think that as players and people who enjoyed the, uh, the game, you know, we don't have to, if someone sees something and we don't, like we can dismiss it. That's fine. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. About our personal experience. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. It's interesting that like, I think when I think about it as, as a teacher though, it's like, there is a real danger of if you come up with a certain interpretation that's so like distracting or like so undermines the, the kind of um, virtues of the game, like it is kind of dangerous to, to include that in your, in your lesson, so to speak. So it's like, it's, it's tough to think about maybe, to think about it that way is taking it like another step. Like if you, if you were to have earthbound be a, instead of like reading books all day in school, you play video games for part of your school day. This is what I imagine. So like we play earthbound as a class, like what are the, what are the things that you want to focus on with that class? Well, probably not the um, Gigas is like the cosmic uh, infant of destruction theory, you know? So <laughs> Yeah, uh, I get you. It's kind of it's kind of like what we're going through in our uh, political and uh, yeah. fake news kind of exactly exactly. You know, if if you start flooding the ideas with these uh, falsehoods or you know outlandish claims, it really muddies the water for yeah. the better theories, and it it is distracting. So yeah, yeah, I can understand. I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, before we run out of time, I did want to also. Um, thank you again for like you, you kind of introduced me to the idea of the virtual novel, which was, you know, I guess a thing that's been around for a while in, in different forms, but um, especially the uh, the 999 series. So do you have you heard any more news about that? Are they making more of those games? Did they release the uh, the last of those? Or is that sort of like finished up at this point? <sighs> um, so. Yeah, there's 999, and then Virtue's Last Reward, and then Zero Time Dilemma. It's a trilogy. Um, everything that I've heard is that Zero Time Dilemma was the last game in the series. Uh, I've been checking the news. There's this, the creator slash author of the series has like a new project coming out. Um, I haven't checked in on it recently. There was speculation that I might have to do with 999, maybe not necessarily a direct sequel, but potentially like a spinoff or something huh. like that. Um, but as far as I know, that story is complete as satisfying or un or as unsatisfying <laughs> as some people found it. Um, you know, there was, there was quite a, a bit of backlash when a zero time dilemma came out. I will say that. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I never like fully wrapped my head around everything that was going on with the game. I always found the concept like super interesting. So the idea basically, right, is you, you have a kind of escape the room situation and you, your, your character is one of, of nine um, people who's in this kind of isolated um, detective story kind of scenario where you, you have to solve puzzles and you have to piece together um, different kinds of clues to figure out what's going on and how to survive basically, right? Like, Hello? 
Hello? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Did I cut out? Um, yeah, just for a second. Oh, I think it might be Anchor. I'm going to blame it on Anchor. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so basically, is the first game you're on a you're on a Titanic type of ship? Is that right, or some other? Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be. I think the sister ship of the Titanic. Okay. Okay. So that's like the kind of setting that you're in, and then the the later games have like a more futuristic kind of thing going on. Um, I didn't I didn't follow them as well. Like so, we don't need to like spoil the story exactly, but there's like time travel and mind control and a lot of wild stuff out there um but what i really liked about the games uh is is that you're sort of you're sort of given the opportunity to um again sort of reflect on like what does it mean to play a game like what is the moral dilemma that enters into this and and it draws on a lot of like really interesting historical psychological just like a lot of stuff it, it throws in there into the mix. Um, so, so I, yeah, I think that that again would be like a really cool uh, project, like to, to think about like how to make a game like that, or if not a game like that, then how to, I guess, tell a story in that way um, using some of these, the new media that are out there. Like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think 999 um, is probably the best use of the dual screens on the uh, Nintendo DS ever. Right. Ever, um, it it utilizes it perfectly, and from a narrative standpoint, it makes perfect sense as to why there's like two screens. And the author, I'm going to butcher his name, but Yuchikoshi, something like that, uh, basically designed the entire game around having dual screens. So I thought that that was um, very interesting. I mean, I, I think, uh, and the way that it just sets up and it all culminates is just perfect in that game. Um, yeah. And it's kind of a shame because that since that was a DS exclusive, he could create a story that was able to be told in a very specific way yeah. because of, of the specific technology that he was using. Now, the second game that came out, um, Virtue's Last Reward, that also was ported to the PS Vita. So now right. you were kind of strong and you could no longer tell, you know, it kind of limited your choices on how you were going to be able to tell that story. Um, so I think the very impressive thing to me was, uh, at least in the first game, was how he was able to use the uh, medium that he was given and create such a compelling story that made sense and made it such a great utilization of the storytelling tool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's funny, it's funny that we were talking about that because, uh, and the YouTube channel, because if I, I think if I was to do a YouTube channel, that would be probably one of the first things that I tried to like analyze or, or go through or review, or I, I'm not sure exactly what, yeah. just because it's so ripe for interpretation. And like you said, there are just so many uh, philosophical uh, theories and uh, even economic theories in the second game. Uh, right. Not that. The, so, you know, there's just this, this huge confluence of different theories that are being, and that are being thrown around and it really makes you think, um, and reflect and think about the choices that you made. Cause I don't know when you cut out, 
but these games are kind of like a choose your own adventure type deal. So you'll yeah. have branching paths and depending on the decision that you make certain good or bad things will happen. So exactly, exactly. And, and things that seem like a good thing to do at the time when you have more information and you sort of, it's like the whole picture comes into focus. Like you said, the way it culminates is just like, so awesome. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thanks again, Steve. I will let you go there, um, but I'd love to have you back on the show later. We, we didn't talk a whole lot about Earthbound this time, but I think, you know, there's always, always more stuff to discuss. So um, as, I get, as I get further into this project, I'll, I'll be wanting your collaboration more, and uh, I hope we'll uh, keep in touch. So, All right. Thanks for, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks to you and to everyone listening. Take care. Thank you.